Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. It's very difficult to know how to introduce my next guest. His life and career in racing has been an extraordinary one. He's a man who forewent uh, a nascent career in the priesthood and turned his hand to punting extremely successfully as well. Uh, he has landed some of the most monumental and momentous coups the sport has seen over a period that has spanned nearly five decades. He's also trained successful winners. He's handled future Gold Cup winners. He has been a friend to the famous. He has been uh, feared and fearless. He has courted controversy. He is loved by many and he is considered a figure of significant intrigue by many more. I'm delighted to say that making a rare television appearance... My guest this morning is Barney Curley. Barney, good morning. Good morning to you, Nick. And it's lovely to see you here. Uh, for those people who haven't seen much of you in the last two or three years, just... Maybe more. Maybe more. Yes. Uh, tell me, what is the day-to-day -day life of Barney Curley like right now in 2019? Well, it's... Um, I mostly give my time to the charity we're running. Uh takes up most of my time so that's what I'm doing mostly and this is DAFA direct aid for Africa is which I want to talk about a little bit later okay. on in a, right. in a bit more depth but I, you were saying to me have you have you done your research I said I could I could read books and books and books and books for about two weeks and I don't think I could ever have done enough research and half an hour is not going to do us justice but what I really wanted to do was to go right back to the beginning and ask you where essentially this all started. What was it inside you that informed the rest of your life and career in horses and gambling, do you think? Well, I think I was sent to boarding school at 11 years of age. Then, when I was 16, my father went skint. So, we landed in England, both of us. And I think that was a big making of me. It was tough. Uh, it was a, f a factory called Petrochemicals in Ormston, Manchester. Mm -hmm. And uh, we lived there for 12 months. Worked two shifts every day, 7 to 2. Sorry, 7 to 10. Didn't have much time. The only time we tried always to take off the second Saturday when Manchester United were at home. That was our sort of our, our holiday for the fortnight. And... Uh, I think it was a good grounding. I started off um, sweeping the floor and uh, I made a bit of progress. I was put on a computer and uh, we, um, I think it was tough. We just had a small room which would be maybe half the size of the studio and uh, we went to work every day, we got the money and sent it home and eventually after 12 months the debt was cleared and b back we came to home. Then, I suppose after that, uh, I decided I would study for the priesthood. So I was there for 18 months, two years maybe. So I used to always be on the A team at football. So uh, I eventually ended up on the C team. And the trainer used to say to me, you know, Curly, you're not trying. And I'd said, I'm doing my very best, but it ended up I collapsed on the football field. And, uh, and what age were you at this point, Barney? I was about 19, 20. 19, 20. So, 
I had TB. Now, it was a killer at the time. Mm. You know, it was... Uh, so I landed up in a sort of a sanatorium on the shores of Loch Erne in Northern Ireland. And, uh, you know, the, the cure was open all the windows and you had these tablets every day and a jag in your backside every day, right? So, you know, uh, it's okay if you get five on each side, it's not too bad. But if you ended up with 30 or 40 injections on each side, it's a killer. You know, so we had to go through all this, but lucky enough, three of us survived. You know, three of us survived, everybody else died. And it was, you know, it was, it makes you think about life. You know, it was a big, it was a big war, but only three of us got out. So after that, uh, I uh, went home, uh, maybe for 12 months and started back again, but I could not get into the the studying, you know, the philosophy and mm. the theology and all, it just couldn't. So I left and I was sitting at home and this chap who was a local came to me and said, I'm establishing an insurance company in London. And uh, he said, I'd like you to be a director. So I said, right, fine, I'll go. So we used to leave... So apropos of nothing, you got this offer? Offer, yeah. Well, he was a friend of the family, right? And you were a 20-year-old guy yeah. who'd been in yes, studying to be a priest. that's right. I'm a, now a director of an insurance so company. he's obviously spotted something. Well... He obviously he, didn't think you'd come down in the he last probably, shower. He probably wanted a yes man to put through all the, the motions on the board. But he's anyhow, gone for the wrong guy, hasn't he? Yeah, well, you did, yeah. But anyhow, uh, we were f the first Irish high flyers in our time. You know, uh -huh. we used to leave Belfast at 7 o'clock every Monday morning and fly back again to Belfast at 8 or 9 o'clock on a Friday evening to Heathrow, being collected by the chauffeur at Heathrow and brought to the offices in Finchley and brought back again. And things were great. The money kept rolling in. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. And there was no payouts because there was no claims. Mm. So this money was building up all the time. So eventually, one Friday evening, we're going home, and uh, this, the evening news, on the top of the evening news was Savondra arrested. So I, I didn't even know who Savondra was, but the chap who was ringing this insurance company told the chauffeur, stop, I want the newspaper. So anyhow, we get back and on a Friday night, on Saturday morning, my solicitor rings me at home and said, Barney, you're to resign from that insurance company. And of course I asked why, and he, you know, he threatened me, if you don't resign, I'm going to tell your father. So I wrote a note and resigned. On Monday morning, the board of trade landed in Finchley and gave the man in charge, you have an option, either we're going to arrest you or closed down this insurance company. So he took the easy option and closed it down. It's a big case in English law, Savondra. Mm. I think it was called the Vehicle and General Company. But it was really, it was a bit of a scam, really, because all the money kept pouring in. We had no reinsurance. Mm. Money kept pouring in. This fellow who was running the company said, I'm going to buy this here and I'm going to buy that there. You know, and it was... You know, they're talking about uh, bootmakers uh, 
a sort of a summon to print money. This was this was this was a gold mine. It's too good to be true. Too good to be true. But he got eight to ten years of under, and uh, the fellow who was running the company that I was in, mm. he. he Cleared off, and fortuitously for you, you had somebody looking out for you. So you, that's right. Done a so, yeah, well, I'd have been, that. I'd have been trouble. Well, probably, but he did close down the company, and that was it. So then that was it, and then I was, uh, I was at home, and this guy came into me. and said, "I want you to run or manage our pop group." There were show bands at the time, right? And I said, oh, "I don't want." Always oh, says you have to do it. You know, a lot of people. You were in school in the south and all sorts. So off we start. And uh, what, so they, they were uh, was the, the seven-piece band, right. like you know, you had two <clears throat> guitars, drummers, uh, saxophone players, yeah. trumpets, all sorts. Very, very good. They were very good. You know, all, it was a big thing in Ireland at the time. And were you were you musical? Did you know much? No, about music? I wasn't musical at all. I wasn't musical at all. But I knew people who get them into the, the venues. Yeah. You know, so we struggled along for oh, I suppose six months or something. So then we decided to make a record. And we're struggling around, we're getting abused, your amplifiers are bad, you this or that and the other thing, getting about £20 a night, you know, more than Travelling everywhere, so we, we decided we'd make a record. So I went up to Belfast Studios and we made this record. And after the record, uh, Mr Solomon, who was an old Jewish man in Belfast, came to me and he said, Sonny, I think we have a hit. Right? He says, you'll know how to handle that. So, you know, at that time you had to write, confirm I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, whatever you call it, healing yeah. and on the such and such, and you had to write. So I had about two weeks confirmed for the band. So I left the rest blank. So... The, 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 the record came out in about four or five weeks' time, and it went straight into the English Top 20. It was a record called Five Little Fingers. Radio Caroline were broadcasting out on the North Sea at the time. You were, that was before your time, yeah. it's a problem. Well, they were out on the North Sea. So I had all three dates. Now, the £20 a night went to one twenty, which was an absolute fortune at the time with the new dates. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how, and of course it was racing. So, I see, see what strikes me from from listening to to what you've told me already is that it could you could have ended up doing anything, and you'd have found a way to somehow make it work for you. Were you just? Do you think you were just born resourceful, or do you think that period when you were sixteen and working with your dad in Manchester in the factory made you like that? I have to say I never was afraid of anything. You know, if somebody challenged me, you know, I'd say, you know, I can do it, there's me, always a me, way. Give me some there's more. A, yeah, there's always a way, yeah. So after we, we I was I was betting at the horses, and I decided... Was that something, would you always bet on horses yeah, from the always, minute you could yeah. remember? Well, no, not really, but you know, in my teens and mm. all, I was always betting, and going to the odd race meeting and making a few pounds. You know, so I decided I would give up the bands and do betting. And do betting, so I started off in betting, and of course, 
I bought a few horses and so on and so forth. Were you a good punter even in your late teens, or did you just have the confidence of youth? I think I had fairly good confidence that I, that I could make it pay. So I just walked away from everything. I left the bands. I had a, I had a newspaper, a free newspaper, one of the first of its time. I had one of them. I said, forget about it, I'm, I'm going. So I went, bought a few horses, and uh, the problem with the horses were that I owned. Any time I went to the races, there were six, if they were okay, fancied, there were six or seven to four, you know? Mm. And I said to myself, well, you know, this isn't right. You know, you have to get the value. So I decided, right, I'm going to do this myself. So I made a plan. I, you know, I had a number of horses there anyhow, and I had a plan, and that's how I started off, uh, with my own horses with nobody else involved. So there was no leads coming. It, it was me, myself. So there was no, no one knew anything about no horses knew, apart from you, no. and presumably the people that were riding them in the morning, but you had to keep now, them... Well, what I did was, uh, I used to say to them, what happens in this yard stays in this yard. Anybody who says anything, sacked right away. No excuses, sacked. I remember I had three Indians working for me. And I, uh, this is when I arrived at Newmarket, and I said, look, if I see you in a betting shop, sacked right away. Your job here is to send home the money to your families. So he used to do me rounds every day about quarter past two in Newmarket, you know, to see what I see any of these in the betting shops. And funny, I never did. They took it on board. Because you always, always ran a tight ship. The one thing I found fascinating about reading about some of the coups that you've executed very successfully yeah. over the years is the detail and the detailed instructions that you would give that's right. to all the agents who were round and yes, about in the shops right. placing, that's placing right. bets that's for right. you. That's right. How much is it that that you enjoyed relative to the actual financial reward that it gave you. Do, we, do you enjoy the chase more than the kill, Barney, do you think? Yes, I think I do. I think I do. I used to always say, you have to have a plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you must have patience, and you must get the value. Value was very important, you know? Uh, and, of course, no one knew anything. Because, you know, when I was working the horses, you know, nobody was sure what, what, what was happening. You know what I mean? I always was a bit fuzzy about things. I suppose, you know what I mean, Andrew Stringer was with me for, I don't know, he must have been with me for 15 or 20 years. It must have broke his heart. Especially when the charity started to go well, because, you know, he'd be saying, well, we'll work so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so tomorrow. And I'd say, no, Andrew, I'm going to. I'm going away. You have to put them on the walker. You know, and it. It, it used to be very. I often think about it, how frustrating it was for him. You know. And I never considered myself as a trainer. I always considered myself as an owner, and a planner. as a and supervisor mm. and supervisor. You know, I never. Uh, I wanted a permit. 
because I wanted to have my own horses, and uh, the jockey club wouldn't give me a permit. Why not? Because they said I had too many horses. But, you know, uh, you know, I didn't want I didn't want owners because you see, owners wouldn't suit my plans. Owners were leads. You know, you can't very well be telling people barefaced lies, you know what I mean? And You know, owners are inclined, if you have a runner in the three o'clock, they're inclined to ring you up at half twelve, how's my horse burning? You know what I mean? Will you be working them soon and all the rest? And then you get, how will that horse of yours run on the 2.30? And that would always give it away, you know what I mean? So that's why I didn't want anybody. The Yellow Samku was 1975. Five, that's right. And your other two most famous coups were 2010 and 2014, so relatively yeah. recently. I'm presuming that between the years of 75 and 2010, you were routinely uh, executing fairly significant gambles that probably none of us ever knew and will never know about. You couldn't say it through a word. You know, the press picks up, will say, Yellow Sam, and they pick up 2010 and two, but they never picked up the other ones. I remember having the right touch one day at market raising. I think it was a horse called Health and Happiness. Health and Happiness. 14 to 1 or something, you know what I mean? I had a right a right tickle. I think Henry Oliver, the late Henry Oliver, went for a tickle in the same race. But I planned it. You know, you'd be, people would be watching you. So what I did was I got a plane and I landed over at Thurlis Racecourse. Uh, I think they were having a do there for something. And I made sure that I was well seen at Thurlis Racecourse. And of course the horse kept... Uh, uh, then things, gambles, they weren't gambles at all. I remember having a horse, a big gamble on the television horse, returned evens. Aidan O'Brien had him, Andre Fobb had him, and he, he arrived with me. I'm the third man to have him, you know. Terrible horse. His feet were all wrong. So this gamble, anyway, a massive gamble, supposed to be even money. Mm. I never had a penny of him. Tom Queeley, he's torn us into the state of Kenton. Tom Queeley picks up the shillelagh, because he's going, you know what I mean? His feet is going, he's going, he's, he gives him a couple of thumbs, he gets time for it, but he wins. You know, not a penny. Then lately, you know, I remember sending a horse to Bath, I think it was, and uh, you know the people who seem want think, to let pretend they know everything. I had a fellow called Carson. <laughs> I think W. Car uh, this young Carson, uh, William Carson, William Carson, mm -hmm. right? Grandson of uh, grandson of, and of course everybody said, "Oh no, Barney wouldn't trust him." You know what I mean? There's no way he'll be a jigger today, of course. I think he wanted eight or ten to one. Made all, I think. So you just like wrong footing. Not You, do, you well, don't well, just like wrong footing the bookmakers. I get the sense strongly from you in reading well, about Well, the punters you. would be as bad. Yeah, you know? but you like, you like wrong footing the people who you think no think all. that they're cleverer than you. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, but well, you see, if, if you do the same thing every day, you know what I mean? It's like going to the bank to throw money every Wednesday. They're all bundle of money, you're coming out and you go the same way home. 
somebody will rob you. You know, you have to change your... Change it up. You have to change your plans, you know. But in the meantime, you know, although... Uh, the same, I had some, uh, some very good horses. Mm. You know, I had a horse there, the man who won the, the uh, gold cup there, uh, Donnelly. Yeah. Right? Mentioned you in the interview. Yeah, he met, and uh, funny enough, he's ta I'm talking to him after the race, and he said, I give you a mention. He did? I said, that's lovely of you, Joe. Why was that? He says, I don't want people to be forgetting about you. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a wind-up merchant, we call him, you know what I mean? But yeah. anyhow, he had one of the best horses. I had one of the best horses in Sarkin, a horse called Keep Hope Alive. Mm. He won his bumper at uh, Newbury, never came off the bridle, won't put up his penalty at Ascot, never came off the bridle. But then he got doped at Ascot, and never was any good afterwards. That's the time they were doping the horses, you know what I mean? It was wholesale doping them and of course it's all put onto the carpet you know and uh, he said to me you know he said uh, when I'm le he was a bookmaker over there he said when I was leaving he said if you see a good horse he says I'll buy him so I rang him up one day uh, maybe 18 months later and he said I've got a good horse he says that's grand he said I'll buy him how much do you want for him I said 50 grand Quite a lot of money then. A lot of money. How many races has he run? I said, he hasn't run yet. Ah, oh, I said, you know what I mean? If you were stuck for 50 grand, why didn't you ring me up and I'd give it to you? I said, Joe, <laughs> never mind about it. I'm happy to have the horse. So, of course, the horse went to Newbury, you know, and I had a, brought a team there and told them to leave no prices on the board and a team in London. Slew something. So then he's on on the Monday. I think that was on a Saturday. He's on. The, I'll take that horse. No, I said, Joe, he's now a hundred. You would have bought a great horse at the time for twenty grand, <laughs> right? No, no, no. He says no horse is worth a hundred thousand. I said, Joe, no problems. You know, I'm going to run him at Ascot, and he'll do the same. You well, know so of course, I'll I run him at Ascot. Sluiced up. Uh, he's on the phone. I'll take him. I said, yes, but now he's 150. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. So after a couple of days, all right, I'll take him. I said, that's fine. So he sends me on the money. What does he do? He sends it on twice. Right. So I get the two 150s. So in about four or five days when he checks his accounts, he think, he knows I have got a... <laughs> you're you're 300 I, I, I'm, I'm 150 off. better off. Yeah. So uh, I said, Joe, I never checked the accounts. There's money in and out of it, you know what I mean? I never checked, you know. Listen, he says, you, whatever, send the money back. So at that time, you know, it just shows you how much money he had. 300,000 and you don't miss it at that time was... It was more than anybody had in Ireland. Mm. And to end up him getting doped at Ascot was terrible. Who doped him? You know, they, they were doping them at the time. It was, it was well and known. Was it, was, it, was it proven that he was doped? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I took him home doped. It was, it was going on regular at the time. Hmm. You know, and I had all sorts of security there and all sorts. And, 
you know. We got him anyhow. And then I had another horse, best horse in the world, nobody ever knew about him. You know, I never got any, you know, uh, I'm very friendly with Baron George von Ormond in Germany. Yeah, the man who owned Manduro. That's Chirocco, right, that's yeah. right. So uh, I'm sent over Manduro. Uh, can't get him right. So I had a very good vet, gentleman, Rob Pillsworth. He ended up uh, v vet for Godolphin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I always said to him, solve it. So he solved it and we had the horse and we had a little fella there. The barn sent me over a, a, a good jockey, but he had a drug problem called Rene. So he was riding him and I said to him one day, you know, uh, how is he going? Good, yeah. How good do you think he is, Rene? I said to him. He said, he's too good for you. <laughs> right insult. Now this is the horse that Andre Fab famously described mm. as the best horse he'd ever trained. Never, never got beat. He never got beat. He went back. He went back to Fab. I would have, you know, I, it struck me, mind, should I run this horse in a Cambridgeshire? He was rated about 92 or oh, 93. Oh, the missed opportunity of all time. That's correct. And I had a thought and I said to myself, no, I better inform the barn. Mm. And... Uh, of course, I got the money out of him because I had bundles on him at Ascot. I got every place he went, I backed him. He never got beat. And the barn didn't go racing very much. He went to Ascot and got the trophies, but I went around France collecting all the other trophies. Mm. That's what I got, plus mm. the winnings of the bets. So in the end... It turned out well. It turned out it okay. turned out well. Had you run him in the Cambridgeshire off a mark of 92, however, oh. you would have had the bragging rights over John Gosden, who at yeah. this point still thinks that Halling was the best handicapped horse ever to have yeah, run in the Cambridgeshire. So I would, you'd have been able uh, yes, to I would, tease him with yes, that. Yes, that's right. that's right. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with with jockeys. You've had some fairly strained relationships with various jockeys and quite well publicised. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh... But you've also had some very robust relationships with with riders. Yes. Well, I suppose let's talk about Frankie de Torre. Who you have a strong friendship with. Yes. Even though a lot of people wouldn't know that. No, probably not. No, probably not. Well, I met him. We used to go before these... Um, monitors came in in the betting shops mm -hmm. it'd be before your time mm. so pre-88 yeah there was uh, you just have a piece of you'd have these things with the runners you know mm -hmm. something like uh, this here you'd have the runners you post them up on the board uh, you'd have the board there you'd have the bet manager here and then you'd have all the punters here so i was in this betting shop uh, which I was a member of, it was just an arc, you know, but there was five of us members, you know what I mean? I remember mm -hmm. Bruce Raymond was a member, and uh, Yami was her member, and, and uh, I walks in one day to this betting shop, and there's this little fella marking the board, marking the board, you know, putting up the mm -hmm. price, number one, four to one, number six, six to whatever, however. So I said to one of the, the, the members, and I said, where, another new, Board marker. Now this board marker got continually every week or t two weeks got sacked. 
because they were on a fiddle. <laughs> you know, a horse that was four to one, it went to two to one. They left it there and they had the price. It was a one-man show, the, the bookmaker. You know, the, he, he was the taker of bets, payer out of bets, everything. You know, mm -hmm. very, you know, it was only a one-man show. So I said, yeah, they said he's, uh, that's a little Italian. Uh, he's with Luca. And I'm thinking to myself, now he is not going to get the trip, because Rip, Luca was very, very strict. And there was he doing the board yeah, marking but in the, in in the this local bed shop. In this betting shop. Mm. So I'm thinking he could be exported very shortly. Anyhow, it went on, so I didn't pass any remarks. So then the next thing is, there was a show on ITV called After Dark. Mm -hmm. Right. This was the. Is, isn't this the program where Oliver Reed famously set about one of the other guests after that? Was it a debate show? Yes, it yeah. debate live, mm. live on ITV. So yeah. uh, we arrived. It, it was it went on for an hour, I think. So there was General uh, Blacker, John McCrick, the Duchess of a big party giver in London, Duchess mm. of I don't know where she was of what. Uh, a reporter from the people, mm -hmm. and myself. So we, we went on anyhow. So John McCurry came to me before before we went on, and he said, Barney, this fella has the knife in me, the fella from the people. You know, it would help my cause if he never got speaking. I said, fair enough. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll keep, keep something go on. So anyhow, it went on, and... Uh, the fellow from the people never got speaking. Never got speaking. He intervened and I intervened and eventually I think John McCurrick insulted the Duchess. So she called for her lady in waiting and left. So that was that was it. Uh, so Frankie it was on late at night, so I think he tells this story himself. He says, uh, he saw me on this and he said, That's a smart cookie now. I must get to know him. So, in a couple of weeks' time, he met me at the sales, and he said, uh, uh, "Will you give me a ride?" And I said, "Well, I'll think about it. I'll think about it." So, uh, I started to watch him, you know, and he was a bit of a wayward youth, you know. He'd be in the disco or nightclubs and all sorts, and then he bought a a painting for a thousand pound one night of, of Nijinsky. And uh, Nijinsky was a bay, and this painting was a chestnut. <laughs> and all these stories, you know what I mean? And I'm, you know what I mean? I said, you know, this is not on, you want to settle down and have, what, a, have a. What was it that made you want to, to give guidance to people like? that was there anything in it for you or were you nothing, looking for anything absolutely from it? nothing nothing except trouble no nothing trouble and anyhow you know i just i think if we all tried to give a little bit of help to someone else mm. would live a lot better you know would have a lot better life you know just think about the other person that's what I would. That's what I would get out of it. And I think we'll be judged on the last day. What did you do for your fellow human beings? 
Does it have a simple faith? To what extent does your does your religious faith still inform the way you go about life? Because obviously you trained in in the in the priesthood. Yeah. You make uh, oblique references to your faith, but perhaps not always explicit ones. Do you do you still believe now, as you did when you were nineteen? I think I do. Yeah. I think. There's a God. He's everybody's God. Black, blue, green, white. You know what I mean? He knows everything we do. But the big thing, the key on the last day of judgment will be, what did you do for your fellow human beings? That's my simple faith. We can be up to all sorts of skullduggery up to then, but I think that's the key. In a sense, I know how much you... You care about DAFA, the charity you yes. set up in yeah. in the mid nineties. Yeah. But is there part of you that thinks I haven't always been a fantastic role model or a fantastic human being? We all make mistakes. One hundred percent. Is there a part of you that's saying I've done quite a lot that I'm not terribly proud of? So now I want to try and do something to redress the balance, or am I looking at that too crudely or no, too simplistically? No, you're not. What happened, you know, what happened was, in 1995, my son got killed, right? So, before that, you know, all I was thinking of, if I had a car, I wanted a bigger car. Mm. If I had a house, I wanted a bigger house. Uh, you know, all those things, you know what I mean? And when, when that happened, I just had to talk to myself. And I was not a very nice human being. All I did was think of myself, me, myself, and I. And I hurt a lot of people. You know what I mean? And then after, you know, and I just, I just said to myself, after that, I have to change. And I had to go and apologize to all these people. You know, there were a big case, Graham Bradley. Robin Goodfellow. Mm. That was a big case. Mm. Do you remember that? I do. I do. Right? And, you, and, and he, funnily enough, and this is, I didn't do this deliberately, but I just realised that right behind me I've got Graham Bradley's book right underneath yours, and there's a great big chapter in it all about that in, okay. his, in his book, and he was on the right. show about three right. months ago. Was he? Yeah. Was he? Mm. Right. I had to ring him up. I had a talk. I, I got in touch with him because I wanted to see go and see a fellow called Brian Wright in prison which I've applied four times to the prison and I could just get a, you know what I mean, a funny reply. Mm -hmm. So I contacted him because he knew where Brian Wright was. So we got talking and he explained to me, he says, I didn't do it. And I believe him. So I have to, you know, that he didn't stop Robin Goodfellow that day, that he was lame. This is Ascot, This is Ascot, yeah. idiot. I had to go on and... Uh, apologise to him. You know, I had to apologise to a lot of people. Noel Mead, a decent man, Irish trainer, you know, I had to draw on Ireland. And I said, the first the first uh, trainer that buys a ticket, I'll send him a horse. I sent him a horse. He sent me the horse back and said, it needs a bit of time. So I put him in the field. I had dozens of horses. Mm. What did I do? I sold him with two others to Homer Scott, another Irish trainer. You know, never thought of Noel Mead, the decency to send back the horse. 
you know. He ends up winning the Irish Grand National. He won a race at Cheltenham, it was called Omerta. You know, I had dozens, I had dozens of phone calls to make, and I didn't realise it until maybe 10 or 12 years ago when I met an old mead. Was, there was a, uh, a statue of Ark had been in Ashburn or someplace, I met him. I never, you know, I never I had to go and do all, I sent him a horse then later, I said, this is the best I have, but she's broke down. And of course, she didn't stand with him either. So, in addition to wanting to be too clever by half, you didn't mind up until that point that you shaft a few people along the way. But Very, you, yeah, yeah. But you yeah. think, you think I'm that... I'm never happy. No peace of mind. You were never happy then? No peace of mind, no matter what I won, what I did, no peace of mind. You know? And your son died in... In 95, yeah. And, and this was a, a car... Yeah, he was accident. coming into work, yeah. And... I know from, from listening to you before and from reading a little bit that this was something that you bore a lot of personal responsibility for. Yes. Have you, have you made peace with that now? Or not? Yes, I have. Good. What I did was, you know, I just bundled the parcel together through the way. You know, and said, you know, God guide me. And, uh, you know, I just asked the man above for a bit of help. And, you know, the help he's given me is unbelievable. Have you ever seen that advert on the TV... I shouldn't be here. It's an advert for two people sitting out on the on the in the veranda on the beach. Have you seen it, Nick? No, I haven't. Well, I like I like looking at adverts because I think the Africans are very good at adverts. But there's this advert on the TV. This woman is here, and this man is here, and she says to the man, "I shouldn't be here, you know." I was attacked by a wolf six months ago, and so on and so forth. And the man says to her, well, he says, I shouldn't be here either, because this is my third luxury holiday of the year. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a plug f mm. for so luxury. Discount holidays or whatever, yeah. Yeah, for just, uh, but I can honestly say I shouldn't be here. You see, in, uh, you know, after getting the TB and escaping that, you know, in 2010, 2-9, you know, I got this virus. No, no one could find out. No one could find out what it was. Right? I'm in Albrook's Hospital, a great hospital, for three months. Eventually, they find out what it is. So, the surgeon says to me, he "says This is serious. You have to have an operation, or we'll give you drugs, but they'll wear off in a couple of months." So I said to him, "What's my chances of the operation? It's a big operation. He said, it's twelve hours. Fifty-fifty." Well, I said, sir, I've often bet worse. Mm. So, and I did it. But I ended up, I'm tubed. So I can't really walk very far. And, and I, can't, I can't stand You've very You've got a tracheotomy. Long, right? So I've got, right, I'm tubed right round, all around here. So my blood doesn't go to my legs the way your blood would go to your legs. My word. So it's tricky. I did say to the fellow, what happens if these tubes burst? He says, they don't burst. Yeah. You know, so that was a, a miracle. And 2014, I get a stroke out in Zambia, left side. Did you know straight away? I did, because, because uh, I was in bed, you see, when I got it. Mm. So I had no power on my left side when I, you know, when I tried to get up. So... Uh, 
it's a bad place to get a stroke, it, you know. So I was in the hospital, and uh, there was this little Greek surgeon, and he used to come in and examine me in the mornings. And, Oh, it wasn't a good place, but they do their best, you know what I mean? So the, the, the fundamental point is that you feel very lucky still to be alive because Ex you've cheated exactly death right. exactly at right. least three times. At least three times. And I suspect probably yeah. in the interim there were a few people who'd like to yeah. finish yeah, you yeah, off that's as well. Right. So that's right. you've probably that's cheated right. death a few more yeah, times. that's right. So have, are you a happier person then now than you were I have never been as happy in all Is that right? I'm going out now on the forest, which is tomorrow week, mm -hmm. to Zambia. I'm looking forward to that more than I would be looking when I was at myself, Cheltenham or Ascot or anything. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really planning and looking forward to it. Yeah, never been happier. And I, I, I think, I think, you know, it's. I think there's a message in that. You know, there's that book's called "Give a Little Back." Mm -hmm. You know, and I think if you give a little back, you get that, you know. But what a lot of people in your position can't do is recognise their motivations, and not just the motivations for... And you're, you're willing to accept that, in addition for all the good that you're doing that we can see now here, for an awful lot of people and making a difference to their lives, you are... You're essentially enriching your own life and your own soul. By that is doing, correct, 100%. By, yeah, and you're quite happy to 100%. To Racing never did that for me. You know what I mean? It never gave me that happiness, that peace of mind that that gives me. You know what I mean? Is that because you were too busy always looking for an edge, always looking to be smarter than the next person? Well, I usually was at that, I have to admit that. You know what I mean? But there was... It's... it's, it's it's very uplifting to go out there and see, you know, this hospital we have, 125 beds, 25 bed maternity. It was a, a beer hut. You know, it's, you know, you get hard that to explain and how it came about. The, the work that went into it, we had to buy hospital equipment coming back from Afghanistan down to, I think it was Andover. We bought it. We, we you know what I mean, created it up and sent it to, to, to Andola in Zambia, you know, through Walvis Bay, through the desert, through, you know what I mean, you know. Are you using sometimes the same skill set to, to finance and fund projects in Africa that you did when you were trying to lay out four horses to win on the same day? What I mean is there is a certain... People are either very resourceful people or they're not. There's a certain kind of resourcefulness and a certain ability to think laterally that has probably served you well, albeit in very different ways. Yes. Yes, it does. And I, I, think this, I like to think about the charity the same as I thought about the racing stable. The people who we do business with, you have to trust them. There's an awful lot of cowboys out there. And I have to, you know, and I have this, I have a team now together. It works like the racing stable. No one steals money. Everything goes, you know what I mean? Uh, and we've put a We've sacked a lot of people in the meantime, you know, who are no good. But it's working like a dream. You know, I can go out there now, look at the projects, and everything's 100%. Just the same as we used to run the horses. Do you think now, I mean, I described you as a, 
a legendary figure. And I suppose I, I use that word quite quite advisedly insofar as there's more mythology about you than there are than there are facts in circulation. Do you think the racing public, those who do still remember Barney Curley, that's right, think of you thanks to George Donnelly, yeah, <laughs> think of you as a hero or a villain or a bit of both? I would think. Uh, it would be split 50-50. You'd have the people saying, on one hand, uh, isn't he great? And you'd have 50% of the people saying, oh, that is some bandit. You know what I mean? That horse is after improving two stone from his last run or something. Do you know what I mean? But you see, I, do from, I explained to everybody when they were working for me, I said, these are my horses. I have to pay your wages every week. I have to buy the horses. I have no other means of income. You know what I mean? Mm. And funny enough, it wasn't hard to get that through to them. You know, I had very few people going outside. Very few now. You know, when you explained that to them, that I wasn't a public trainer. I, I suspect that your way of explaining things, particularly when you were in your heyday, was rather more... Uh, rather more frightening than the, well, your, your average Joe. I'm, only, well, I'm well, only guessing. You see, what I used to do, I used to pay everybody more. Mm. You know what I mean? And they appreciated that a bit. You know what I mean? That, so you they'd know, repay you with their loyalty? They, you know, they'd have, you know, if I had a winner there or something like that there, they just didn't get a, 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 a weekly, you know, you got a few quid extra from everybody else and, you know, uh, and I never took much part in the yard. Andrew Stringer, the last 15 years, he was in charge. He was the box driver, the trainer, the, uh, the man who keeps the place in order, what a maintenance man, fixer of television. He's he, a long-suffering man, Barney, yeah, isn't he? he? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I do feel, my wife said the other day, she says, don't you forget, Andrew Stringer gave you the best years of his life. You know, but they were all, they were all, you know what I mean, they're all good. He comes down to see me, and he doesn't come down now, this last six or seven months, because I have house guests there at the moment. Uh, that's another story, but he used to come down to cut the lawn and something like that there. Uh, Tom Queeley, they're all, they're all, uh, they're all, a lot of those jockeys have been out in Africa. Mm. Johnny Murtha was about there. Spencer was out there. Tom Queeley was out there. Do you notice a change in them when they come back? Do you think it's been uh, good for them, some of them, especially people who well, perhaps have tasted a lot of success you when take, they're young? You take Tom Queeley now. Like he was lucky in life. He went out there. Tom Queeley and I went to, to the uh, Portman Square, wherever you call it. We went. To, there was an inquiry about a horse. He was accused of stopping Henry Cecil's horse and stopping mine. Right. I was suffering very badly. I fell, you know what I mean? I was asleep during the inquiry. I never went prepared. My horse came from Godolphin, who said he was a glass, he had the legs of glass. All I had to do was get a note from mm. Godolphin to mm -hmm. say, and that was inquiry finished. But of course, I wasn't well. Really, I was really sick. So we went, he got 50 days. We're coming home on the train. He says, what am I going to do? I said, Tom, do you know what you'll do? get lost for 60 days because Tom at that time was doodling you know he was paying the mortgage paying the car 
you know, having a nice time. No, riding second jockey for Henry Cecil. You know, no, no pressure, mm -hmm. no pressure. He came back, you know, a new man. From Africa. From Africa. No, from uh, no, he didn't go to Africa at that time. He was out in no, Africa, he, but he went to some place. Yeah. He got lost. He came back, a new man, got stuck in, you know. And he's a very, very good jockey, very, very underrated jockey. Got stuck in, and how did the rest is history? He rode Franco. Well, he'll never have to do anything else. You know, he doesn't. Well, he's you know he's fairly. Mm. As a matter of fact, I was telling him the other day he has all the exams to go to to university. I said, don't you end up on a fourth division job? You know, go back. You know, to, to school. But I, I don't know what he's going to do. And what are you going to do? What's your, what's the next, uh, have you got one yeah. of these nice touches lined up again, or is Barney Kelly in semi-retirement? Let me tell you. Nick. You're not going to tell me anyway. But. I am <laughs> going to tell you. No, I will tell you truthfully, right? 2014. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to do it never wanted to do it and my associates he never got the four that's the use of game he never got the four and I said look uh, we had only a few horses at the time I said you know people are watching these horses you know and it'll not work like the work before there'll be no 20 to 1 or whatever and anyway I'm conv they, they convinced me to do it I had to turn a miler into a 6 4 on horse a nightmare Tell, to see would he be fast enough for six furlongs had to go in disguise to Kempton Park mm -hmm. got Shane Kelly to ride him and said listen go six furlong pace and no more and see is he a six can we make him a six furlong pace and you know we didn't make it yeah. uh, people were watching the horse called Eye of the Tiger so the night before these two ladies arrive in the yard, right? Would you sign a book? I said, yeah. There's £40 for the charity. What chance has so-and-so? So I said, well, you know, we'd run OK. I had to get on the phone and say, put twice as much on as we were <laughs> having on because this is going to be tricky. Well, now we won the same amount of money in 2014, but we had to put twice the much money mm. because these people, and it, was, it wasn't, you know, there's no more. I'm going to finish up as long as I can go to Zambia, I'm going to go there, but there's no more horses. No more horses. No more four-timers or three-timers or anything like that. There's a little bit of me that kind of hopes that while you're talking to me now, somebody's getting the bet on, and this is one of the great. This is one. This is one of the great decoys of all time. No, but it's I, not. No, it's I'd not. Uh, no, face, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, the way I think now, I wouldn't tell you a blatant lie. You know, there's no, there's no. I'm finished. I'm just happy enough to do all. Of, you know what I mean. I hope for my coming here today that some of those people that hear it, because I hear this yeah. is the best racing programme on television. <laughs> that's why I'm here. That, you know, that's what the people say on the ground. So that's why I'm here, and I hope that when somebody sees this, that they send on a few quid. And remember, this charity, there's nothing comes off the top. 
I go out Monday week to Africa, pay all my uh, expenses. I find it extreme. I find the flattery very uncomfortable, obviously, Barney, but I don't find it uncomfortable to promote your charity. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.